It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show, the Science and Solutions Show, are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and rate us so that others can find the show. My name is Kay Wenigal and today I'm joined by Kira Rundle. Hi Kay, hi listeners. On last week's show, we began delving into the world of carbon offsets with Ray Wilson. Ray's the CEO of the non-for-profit carbon neutral charitable fund and the business Carbon Neutral. Ray last week explained how their tree planting and biodiversity restoration activities offset carbon emissions from homes and businesses and why Carbon Neutral Fund focuses not just on planting trees but on genuine habitat restoration. This week we're going to continue the discussion to address some of the criticisms of carbon offsets and gain some insights into the for-profit organisation Carbon Neutral. Now before we start, I mm. think Kira just needs to give the phone number. Ah. So because we've, oh okay, we've got Ray I think. Hi Ray. Hello. Oh, oh there we go. Oh, we Good. heard beep, beep, beep and we thought we'd lost you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks for joining us, Ray. Welcome. Thank you. Now, Ray, can you tell us a relationship between the two organisations, Carbon Neutral and the Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund? Sure. The Carbon Neutral Charitable Fund started way back in 2001 as a small program under by Men of the Trees. As they, then, they saw then the emerging carbon market as a way of doing more rural land restoration. And that small program ticked along for a few years and then Al Gore... Inconvenient truth, and that's when the the demand or the interest in carbon offsetting through reforestation really took off, and um, and with these growing demand, the charitable fund uh, couldn't keep up with getting adequate land to plant the trees, so it um, sold its name to a private group called Oz Carbon. So in 2013, Carbon Neutral began became a private company, but the charitable, the Carbon Neutral Limited, which is a charity, changed its name to a charitable fund, and the two organisations, though totally independent, have worked together ever since. Okay. So, Ray, just um, let's get this topic out of the way. There is some scepticism about carbon offsets that really needs to be discussed and brought to a head. George Rombiot, the well-known journalist environmentalist, famously declared that or compared carbon offsets with the ancient Catholic Church's practice of selling indulgences, absolution from sins and reduced time in purgatory in, renew, in return for financial donations to the church. Just as indulgences allowed the rich to feel better and sinful behaviour without actually changing their ways, carbon offsets allow us to buy complacency, political apathy and self-satisfaction, he said. So with our guilty consciences appeased, we continue to fill up our SUVs and fly around the world with no concern at all for our impact on the planet. So 
bottom line, do government offsets actually work or do they just give licence to continuing polluting? Now, the vast majority of organisations involved in carbon offsetting uh, are in, work on the basis of measuring their footprint and then actively looking at ways to reduce it and then only offsetting the unavoidable emissions. So mm. the reduction process for most companies is, is looking at ways of being more energy efficient, less flights. So obviously the, uh, that means they'd be buying less offsets. So it's uh, very few companies that we work with um, are blatantly offsetting without paying attention to en- uh, energy reduction and hence um, emission reduction. And is that something that carbon neutral actually helps the companies that you work with achieve? So first looking at where can we cut our overall energy consumption and once we've maximized the energy savings, looking to offset the remaining energy that they use? We do. We have affiliates across Australia, um, companies that that help with that, Uh, engineering firms that look at the built environment. Um, In some cases, 20, 30, or most cases, 20 percent, some come other cases 30 sometimes 40 percent savings in uh, in energy use as a, as a consequence of doing the carbon reduction program and a lot of state governments uh, supporting have programmed to support that uh, as well so if you're talking about 30 40 percent emission reduction does that overall mean that you know after the companies hired you to take a look and um, try to reduce their emissions and then offset the remaining emissions. Are they still overall better off because they've reduced their energy consumption by such a large amount? Yeah, with, with savings like that, it's it's significant dollar savings to them, to the business, um, and and hence the to be carbon neutral, we've got the demand for the quantity of offsets is, is reduced. So we encourage our clients to look at it, uh, the carbon intensity, which is a measure of the carbon emissions on a um, on a metric of per full-time employee, per million-dollar turnover, per square metre floor area, those sort of metrics. So even though the business is growing, the intensity, the level of carbon emissions per, per unit are, are reducing. And so when that's graphed over time, it's something that staff can get engaged with and it's a, it's a good story for the organisation. What about individuals? I mean, what if they do a bit of carbon offsetting when they're flying a plane overseas? Because as I think you said last year, last week, um, a, a year's worth of emissions for a person living in a house is about the same as a one one long haul flight. So if I just offset my carbon emissions for that flight, that's enough to get me by for the next year, and I can do whatever I like. And in the meantime, yeah, most people realise that flights is a only part of their, their footprint, their individual footprint or their household footprint. So they're looking at their energy, household energy, their vehicles particularly. Uh, people are, who are conscious about reducing their footprint are looking at more fuel-efficient vehicles, electronic TVs. So you're saying that if you're looking at, at doing carbon offsetting, you're already looking at all the ways you can reduce your impact? Certainly, and most people's mindset now is looking at... Uh, water efficiency as well, and as well as waste recycling, of course. But flights are a really, really significant aspect of, of, of a life, aren't they? I mean, as I said, you know, there's a whole year's worth of impact on the planet in one flight, potentially. So isn't that something that really can't just be offset? The, um, the airlines 
internationally have uh, uh, set themselves a target of, of, I think it's 2050, by net, net zero emissions by 2050, and part of that will be using biofuel, um, certainly more efficient engines are already in play. So the whole industry is very much aware of its its impact on on climate change and uh, is doing best they can, or doing a fair bit to... Um, <laughs> to I guess yes, to we'll just that. hope that they keep improving... And, but at the end of the day, carbon offsetting is the only real way you can neutralise your, your flight emissions. Mm. If, if you do it at the right cost level. But sometimes it seems to me that it's fairly low. There are stories of carbon offset programs planting trees in developing countries without the necessary follow-up of resources such as water and labour to ensure that the trees survive. How can people avoid wasting money on ineffective programs? All the carbon offset programs, uh, globally there's the verified carbon standard, the gold standard, and in Australia our emission reduction fund creating ACUs, Australian Carbon Credit Units, they're all, they've all got um, frameworks to uh, ensure that the projects are real, that they're transparent, and, uh, and they're independently audited. So you can be quite confident that, um, that these projects actually do happen. And if there's a failure in, in a planting project, for example, all the programs have buffers so that each project developer uh, must set aside, in, in our case with gold standards, 20, a 20% buffer. And that, that's uh, for all, project, all projects, that, that buffer is set aside in case any one project falls over for whatever reason. So mm. you can be quite confident is, um, under those standards the, the, the projects are real and measurable. So can consumers be more, um, I guess, can they uh, trust the Australian accreditation um, programs more than international or some other international programs? I, I wouldn't say that it trusts them more or less. They're all highly credible systems. Um, what we're finding is people who come to us about uh, offsetting, when, when they learn about our land restoration, ecosystem restoration program that generates carbon credits. It's the co-benefits from the program that, that really interest them and carbon becomes a second, a second uh, priority. Um, so the, the result of that is that carbon offsetting is a, is a way of funding large-scale ecosystem restoration. Yes. Purchase of carbon credits. So talk to us a little bit more about what these co-benefits um, are. So I think it's not just habitat restoration, right? There are also some cultural benefits um, as well. So can you just maybe um, mention a few of those co-benefits? Yeah, on our project, uh, for example, 13,000 hectares, we went back to 2008 when we our first uh, planting and calculated the employment, direct employment, uh, indirect employment through contractors. And it was 100, over 130 man years of employment from 13,000 hectares. And some of that's Indigenous employment, I'm pleased to say. And there are Indigenous uh, projects across Australia, some of them owned by Indigenous communities. So that's really important for many people. Uh, so we have buyers come to us wanting in, Indigenous projects. Um, mm. And we've helped rural communities. Um, we've all the money, Most of the money we spend on fencing and other fertilisers and other activities is through local, our small local towns. Um, and, yeah, that, that's... We were actually 
just won a grant to put a dollar value on the co-benefit. So we, mm. we all talk about the co-benefits, but what's it actually worth? So I'm pleased to say Lottery West uh, here in Western Australia have given us uh, funding to do that, to employ a, a consultancy to put a dollar value on, all the, on the various economic, environmental and social co-benefits of our Yarra Yarra Biodiversity Project Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that that would be quite a significant achievement if you can get that that dollar value and uh, and, and make sure that you can actually um, justify it. Yes, it, it's, and it's, uh, it's what, what people, when they choose a carbon offset project, and there's many, many, many hundreds of projects across, across globally and many in Australia, many, their, their judgment on, as to which one to go with is based on the co-benefits. So... Uh, we're hoping this study will help give that more more uh, credence in the, in the market. So it's not just about carbon when you're buying a carbon. Mm. Do you have any idea when the results of that study will be made public? No, we haven't. We've only just got the uh, the approval, so we're uh, we're now going back to to our um, various third party um, partners, and uh, the time frame will probably be late next year, I think. It's quite, it'll be quite a process. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so that leads on to a whole question of audits and standards for carbon offsets. Can you tell us what accredited and unaccredited offsets are? So the, the, the accredited offsets or the certified offsets are through various programs, as I mentioned before, the, uh, the verified carbon standards or the gold standards or the Australian ACUs. Sorry, they're uh, all different? They're all different, but they're all certified programs. But there's a number of... Why are they different and certified? Is there different organisations certifying yeah, them? different organisations. Yeah, they have different uh, uh, different frameworks they work under, but they're all, at the end of, at the, end of the day, that any credit, carbon credits or offsets bought through those programs are certified. But there's also companies that have uncertified projects here in Australia, including us and uh, Greenfleet in Victoria, who use that framework but don't have the onerous costs of, of audits and registration fees and and buyers of those programs knowingly purchase credits that uh, fit the framework but don't have the certification logo and they're a bit cheaper and at the end of the day people are supporting revegetation, uh, ecosystem restoration works. So why would you choose accredited if it's much more expensive in preference to unaccredited offsets? Uh, Because there are buyers out there that will only buy certified offsets, so they have a policy or that's their choice. Um, What's their incentive? Their incentive is um, for big companies. Mm -hmm. uh, Obviously, they want to be sure that when they make claims about carbon offsetting that they're genuine. So what we do with our unaccredited offsets... uh, we have, so our buyers have a choice, certified or unaccredited. We staple a international, cheap international wind farm unit, for example, to each unaccredited offset to ensure that, that they can make claims of carbon neutrality through this unaccredited offset. Sounds a bit complex and confusing, but it, it works. It, uh, it, it gives us peace of mind that any of our clients that buy the unaccredited can claim carbon neutrality without breaching any greenwashing. So if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Ray Wilson from Carbon Neutral. Ray, what did you mention what certification standards Carbon Neutral uses? 
We, uh, our project has been certified under the international gold standard and it's the only project in Australia that has been so far. I uh, hope there'll be more. We chose that back in 2013 for, for a number of reasons. The, the main one being gold standards international uh, framework and we, as a consequence, are getting increased demand from overseas buyers. So we've, we've sold our Australian carbon credits to USA, Europe, uh, to buyers in those countries, and we've, we've um, finding they're prepared to pay quite a premium price for them. So uh, that's because it's the gold standard is a, is a well-known international unit. Also, gold standard is very strong on linking its programs to the sustainable development goals, so we have to report to those goals in our auditing. It's not just about the carbon, it's about the co-benefits, um, and, and there's a no-harm requirement. So it's a very rigid program that has us monitor, measure, and we can put it, well, moving forward, we're able to put a value on the co-benefits, and that's what a lot of carbon offset buyers are looking for. I want to change gears a little bit. So we've been talking about carbon neutrals offsetting, um, which you do through habitat restoration and planting trees. But there are other carbon credits you can buy um, where companies invest in, say, renewable uh, or zero emissions energy projects. Uh, so do you think that this is also an effective way uh, of offsetting carbon emissions? Or um, why did you guys choose to go the tree planting route? We chose tree planting because in many parts of Australia and where we're operating, a lot of land was cleared in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It was overcleared, so the shires we're working in, over 90% of the land was cleared for agriculture, and everyone acknowledges it was overcleared. Some of that land is no longer viable for farming, and there's, unfortunately there's abandoned farmland which we've, we've purchased and are restoring. And trees, as as you know, actually remove CO2 from the atmosphere so that other carbon projects like energy efficiency are a way of avoiding emissions. Mm. But tree planting is one of the few activities that remove CO2, which is accumulating in the atmosphere. So it's, it's a very effective way of addressing emission reduction, but also delivering all these other valuable economic and, so, and uh, social and environmental benefits as well. So, Ray, how were the independent audits conducted? We, with our program, we measure each audit period, whether it's each 12 months or two years, it's our choice. We have um, stratified random sampling across our 13,000 hectares and we measure 140 sites in terms of tree growth or growth in the biomass. We convert that into a measure of how much carbon that the trees have generated and that, that, that information is then audited by independent auditors who also visit the site to ensure the trees are healthy and that uh, that area has actually been planted. So it's, and then there's uh, the audit. Yeah, they do that yearly, do they? Yeah, if we, if we choose to do a yearly audit. So, and then there's they, we have to conform to, under gold standards, all these other regimes, non-carbon regimes, no harm, and the various uh, co-benefits. How do they measure that? They they look at um, our employment records when we make claims about employing our employment numbers, um, our biodiversity monitoring programs that we have in place to measure the impact of plantings on bird life, 
and insects and so on. So they do their own independent monitoring or they just check your monitoring? They do some independent monitoring, yes. They go and do some, some of their own measurements, not to the same scale we've done, but they, they just randomly check uh, some of our sites, some of our measurement sites that, to ensure that we, we did it correctly. It's a very rigorous program and hence quite expensive. Mm, I can imagine. How can purchasers be certain that offsets aren't being counted twice? Good question. Uh, with our gold standard uh, program, gold standard weren't wanted to be sure that the Australian government wasn't including our tree plantings in their in their accounting. They through satellites the uh, measurement of vegetation is done each six months, I believe. And so there was a chance that our plantings get caught up in that and the government reports on those in terms of its accounting. So Gold Standard had us purchase an international unit for every carbon credit we get issued. We have to buy an international credit as well just to uh, cover that potential risk that there is double, double counting. So it's so essentially people are getting two for the price of one when they purchase one of our Gold Standard credits. But it's, the international units are... are aren't that expensive, but nevertheless, uh, it is an added cost. So what questions would people ask, or should they ask, about carbon offsets when they're considering purchasing? It's the, um, it's quite a, if you go online and look at all the offsetting programs in Australia, there's there's quite a, a range of vegetation offset projects, but it's, it's actually difficult to buy an Australian project because the ACU, the Australian Carbon Credit Unit, can only be sold by offset developers to larger companies uh, because it's, it's regarded as a financial product. So we have an Australian Financial service li- Services Licence which allows us to sell those units to bigger companies, but we can't sell them to small firms. We can't sell those to small companies with under 20 staff or individuals. So you'd need a retail licence for that. So that means small companies and individuals tend to buy international credits or the unaccredited units which don't have that um, restriction on them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and then and then it's also difficult for some of the projects they it's all about carbon, so in, so some of the developers um, get to tell their story about the, the co-benefits. Um, hmm. so, yeah, it's it's, a, it's um, buying offsets is um, still something that it's, a, it's developing. It's, we need to educate the community about, about the various programs. And the Carbon Market Institute, a Melbourne-based company that represents developers and emitters, um, is, is doing a good job in, in that, in that uh, arena. Um, so in the last few minutes that we have today, I just wanted to get to some of the listener questions that we had following last week's episode. Um, so someone asked, what's the cost of buying credits? Like, what's the dollar per ton cost? Um, so I think you mentioned that there, the cost can vary depending on if you are buying from an accredited or an unaccredited program. But can you give us kind of a, a brief overview? Sure. The unaccredited reforestation or revegetation carbon credits around 15 or $16. Then the certified credits... Um, are as high as $24, depending on volume, $24 or $25, so all within that range. But for businesses, it's uh, obviously the more you buy, you, there is a volume-based discount. So so there's a, about a 
a ten dollar difference from the cheapest to the to the uh, the, the gold standard, the premium gold standard. And can you just remind us again how many tons an international flight is? So we can get a kind of an idea of how much it would cost to offset one long haul international flight. Yeah, I think that was, I think uh, Sydney, Sydney, London is about seven ton. So seven ton times $15. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of people are, uh, are buying a uh, carbon neutral charitable fund and carbon neutral have a, or the charitable fund has a, an e-commerce website so people can go online. Uh, and uh, there is an opportunity to buy cheaper international credits as well if they choose to. Another they, question... They might be $10 a tonne. ...was what is the smallest land plot for tree planting? Yeah, we've, we're getting a lot of inquiry from landowners across Australia saying, I've got, uh, I've got an area I'd like to plant trees, can I create carbon credits? What's the smallest area? And I tell them probably 1,000 hectares, and so that's... Uh, Disappointment for them. Because they might have <laughs> Sounds years. like a lot. <laughs> yeah, just the cost of uh, registering the project, it, it means it needs to be done on a relatively large scale or done through aggregators like us or some of the other uh, carbon developers who can aggregate um, a number across a number of landholders. Um, so I've got a question. The bushfires around Australia have been in the news a lot this week. Um, it's really big tragedy obviously and we were wondering planting more trees is this going to increase the risk of huge fires around the country it won't increase the risk of fires i think uh that risk has always been there um but as i mentioned last week we've we've had two fires on, on 160 sites and uh both those sites have have naturally re- regenerated very well so the big uh, eucalypt, the bigger the trees, they they looked, uh, they were blackened and totally burnt, but um, they regenerated, uh, and so yeah, I'm, I'm quite confident that uh, that bushfires certainly are a risk, but uh, can be managed and through some infill planting or, or natural regeneration, it, it's not the it won't be a disaster, and there's also that buffer in there as well. All the schemes have buffers to allow for that. So we're out of time now, Ray. Um, there was just a comment here. The Guardian um, reported a scientific study in Europe that showed worldwide there's 1.7 billion hectares of treeless land on which 1.2 tonne of natural tree saplings could grow. That area is about 11% of all land and equivalent to the size of US and China combined. So if you had a worldwide planting program, it could remove two-thirds of the emissions of all human activities in the atmosphere today. So that's really good news. So thank you very much for your time today, Ray. My pleasure. Thank you. We've been speaking to Ray Wilson from Carbon Neutral. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.